0: Hi, Allie. This is Joe Nye, uh, your former friend from Harvard and current colleague. Uh, And I was uh, alerted that your new book, which I've read and endorsed, is going to be published officially next week. Uh, When I read it, I thought it was terrific. Uh, But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about why you wrote it?
1: Well, Joe, thank you so much for the introduction and, and the generous words. It's it's an honor to be talking with you and, of course, a, a, an honor to have your imprimatur on the book. Um, I wrote the book because I was fascinated by the amount of traction that this construct of great power competition had gained in the policymaking community, in the analytical community. And what I found was as I conducted more research, as I conducted more uh, interviews, I found that there was a pretty marked gap between the ubiquity of the term on the one hand and the specification of the term, on the other hand. And that is to say, at, at kind of a 30,000-foot level, many observers agree that great power competition means that Russia and China in particular are more able and willing to push back against U.S. influence, to push back against uh, the U.S.-led post-war order. But when you get down to brass tacks and say, well, what does that description mean for U.S. foreign policy? You get a lot of disagreement. Um, and so I wanted to see if I could perhaps bridge the gap between the the underspecification of the term and, and the ubiquity of the term and what I do in the book, um, I try to posit a distinction between great power competition as a, uh, as a description and as a prescription. Uh, I think that descriptively, I think that few if any observers would dispute that great power competition distills an important element of contemporary geopolitics. Prescriptively, I think it's more problematic. I think that it risks producing a US foreign policy that's more reactive and defensive I think it risks uh, needlessly aggrandizing the strategic acumen of Russia and China, when in fact, I think that they're increasingly proving to be self-limiting competitors. Uh, And third and lastly, I think that uh, treating great power competition as a policy framework, um, it also disinclines us to think of opportunities for cooperative undertakings, however limited with Russia and China to manage transnational challenges. So I advanced those three critiques in the book, but In the concluding chapter, uh, I outline eight principles that I hope can inform a more confident, more sustainable U.S. foreign policy that isn't predicated upon reactions to the moves of its competitors.
0: Well, that makes sense to me, but um, what would be the bumper sticker that you would put on your alternative? Uh, Very often in foreign policy, um, uh, the press and the public want to know how you sum this up in a very short form. Uh, you can't get eight
1: propositions on a bumper sticker. What's the short form? So the first option would be to see if if I could print a somewhat larger bumper sticker that I might be able to include some of the principles on there. But but I absolutely agree with you, and that's why I, I i sub I subbed out one word from great power competition, and and the title talks about a great power opportunity. And I think if I had to print a bumper sticker, it would be great power opportunity. I wanted to write a book that, of course, sets forth a critique Uh, and much of the book is devoted to uh, this exposition of a critique of great power competition. But uh, many individuals with whom I spoke rightly said, well, Ali, if not great power competition, then what? And it, and it, it dawned on me more and more as I wrote the book that the more strenuously you critique a prevailing framework, the more it behooves you to either come up with an alternative or to concede in full transparency that you aren't able to come up with an alternative. So uh, the bumper sticker would be great power opportunity. And and what is that opportunity? I think that America's great power opportunity is to formulate and execute a foreign policy that focuses more on what it can control, namely investing anew in its unique competitive strengths and less on reacting to the maneuvers of Russia and China. I think that the less US foreign policy is, is tethered to the decisions of its competitors, the more freedom of maneuver we will have uh, the more confidence we will signal to our allies and partners that we have confidence in ourselves at home and abroad. And I think that the more that we'll be able to approach strategic competition with Russia and China, somewhere between complacence on the one hand and consternation on the other. But isn't the concept great power competition
0: uh, in danger of treating uh, two different powers uh, the same when they're actually not? Um, China is a rising power, Russia is declining power. Uh, We may not like China's behavior in all areas, but uh, Russia is the one who's actually gone to war attacking a neighbor and violating one of the basic norms of the post-45 era. Uh, Does it make sense to lump them together
1: as great powers? I think that we, I completely agree with you. I think it behooves us as much as possible while recognizing that they are both authoritarian powers, they both are pushing back against US influence, that they're very different. Uh, China is a resurgent power that has benefited immensely from its integration into the post-war order. Uh, Russia is far less influential, and I think that it feels aggrieved by the current order, and it feels that it can exercise more influence, not by trying to reintegrate itself into that system, but by trying to destabilize it. From without. So China and Russia, they pose very different challenges. They have different material capacities. They have different approaches to contesting U.S. influence. And so I think that it behooves U.S. foreign policy to distinguish between the two countries as it manages strategic frictions.